Hey there, it's Carrie. Thank you so much for joining me on this latest episode of Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma. This is Episode 7, Early Childhood Trauma, Part 3. I'm so glad that we're walking the path towards healing together. So just a quick reminder, I'm not a clinician, counselor, or physician. I'm a certified trauma support specialist with lots of lived experience with trauma. Also, the information presented in this podcast is for educational purposes only and not meant to replace treatment by a doctor or any other licensed professional. Also, as we talk about childhood traumatic experiences, this is not me giving parenting advice. I made a ton of mistakes as a parent. We all do, whether we have a trauma history or not. I'm taking information from published studies and readily available resources like the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, among others. I'm also going to talk about my personal experiences, what's made sense to me and helped me in the hopes of connecting my thoughts and feelings to something you may have gone through or experienced. So as we go through this topic, it can get a bit triggering. If it does, stop listening, take a break, do some mindful belly breathing or any of the other exercises we've learned and come back when you're ready. All right, let's dive in. In episode six, we talked about childhood trauma between the ages of one and six years old. So today we're going to take a look at how trauma can impact children between the ages of six and 12 years old. As children grow, develop, and process experiences, their behaviors can look very different the older they get. They develop more distinct personalities, likes and dislikes and emotions. Their individual personalities begin to emerge. I know that between these ages, I radically changed in many ways, but in other ways, not so much. That fear-based thinking, hypervigilance, and survival mode was always there. That fear, anger, adult behavior, problems learning, nightmares, sleep issues, and so much more were all common behaviors that can show up in children exposed to trauma. These things also follow us into adulthood. I know mine certainly did. So in these years, between 1969 and 1975, my family moved from Ohio to California, back to Ohio, then to West Virginia. During this time, we lost my grandmother, my mom's mom, whom I adored. This was my first experience with the death of a loved one, and it was very hard. My mom continued to bounce back and forth between hospital stays and home. My dad traveled a lot for his job, so he was gone often, which was just fine with me and my mom. Things were so much better when he was gone. Mom and I had our own routine, and I had that safety in being her caregiver. That was my little bit of control I thought I had. School was a nightmare. I got bullied and teased at every new school. I was painfully, almost cripplingly shy. I did everything to avoid being called on in class. I was terrified of it. 
I had learned that most adults weren't safe. So when I did get called on, I would have that out-of-body experience. I would just disassociate. And the other kids in class would laugh at me and think I was stupid or that there was something wrong with me. Even teachers belittled me, called me out, made me feel worse. And there were times I got physically attacked by other kids. In the fourth grade, one time in the girls' bathroom, one student held my arms behind my back so another girl could punch me repeatedly in the stomach. At the same time, some neighborhood boys would catch me when I got off the bus every day to physically hurt me. I'd get off the bus and run as fast as I could to get into my house before they could catch me. I remember one time they cut me off before I could get into my yard. All I can remember was spinning crazily in a circle with one arm stretched out holding my lunchbox like some kind of weapon that might protect me. I didn't understand at all what I could have done to provoke all of these kinds of behaviors from other kids. My mother's only response, always, was to just tell me to ignore them and eventually they'll get bored and stop. Believe me, it didn't work. My grandfather was living with us at this time and it became his job to stand outside and wait for me when I got off the bus. The teasing and bullying just got worse and happened on the bus instead of off the bus. Bullying is a very real and serious issue for children. It's not just kids being kids, particularly not for the child being bullied. During these years, children are trying to find ways to belong and no child wants to stand out in any negative way. I mean, at any age, we wanna be accepted by our peers, right? And now with the addition of online or cyber bullying, it just takes it to an unbelievable level. When my grandfather, my mom's dad was living with us, it made things much more difficult. I loved him dearly and he meant well, but he got involved in the arguments too. He was a doctor, retired by this time. He had lived with both of my uncles and us at different times after my grandmother died. We were all happy when my dad was out of town. I have a very specific memory that comes up for me. Every evening when my dad was gone, my mom and I would go to my grandfather's room. It was like family time. My grandfather would bring out his doctor's bag, a black bag with a handle, like you'd see in old movies. Then he and my mother would give each other injections. I asked my mother what the shots were. She told me they were just shots of B12. I was seven at this time. I knew what that was, it was a vitamin. My curiosity was satisfied and I didn't think anything of it. It was my normal, it's what I knew. Years later, in becoming aware of my mother's addiction problems, it suddenly occurred to me that most likely that wasn't B12. I remember the night my dad and my grandfather got into a huge fight. I was in bed listening to it all. It ended up with my dad telling my grandfather he had to leave. My mother said she was leaving too. There was no mention of her taking me. I remember running out to the hallway by the front door my dad caught me and I looked up at him and said, if mom's going, I'm going with her. 
Dad didn't say anything, and I don't remember what happened right after that. My grandfather did leave. My mom did not. I remember at six years old, very clearly, trying to talk my mom into divorcing my dad. I told her that I would get a job and take care of her and that we'd be fine. In my mind, there was no reason why a six-year-old couldn't get a job. I did a great sell job. She listened to me, and I thought I had her. I was very upset that it never happened. That role reversal in our relationship was just crazy. When my dad was home, his drinking continued, and so did my parents' constant fighting. If they weren't fighting, the tension in the house was awful. It was like something you could almost physically feel and touch. As I mentioned before, my escape was books and music. My other escape hatch was being outdoors. I loved it. Remember, this was long before personal technology. We went outside to play. When you were young, did you have anything you did or any activities that enabled you to escape a bit? I remember being as young as six. I'd wake up with the sun, grab my fishing pole, tackle box, net, and head out. I was such a tomboy and an avid nature and animal lover. At that time, we lived in a neighborhood with a lake and two ponds in Ohio. I fished, hunted for frogs, turtles, and snakes. I might go back to the house for lunch, but if I did, I'd go right back out and not come back till dark. I know that when my kids were that age, there is no way I would have let them be gone like that all day or traipse around deep bodies of water alone. But again... This was just my normal. So at this age, one day, I was out with two of my friends, both boys my age, hunting for turtles by the lake, and a young man approached us. He was friendly, and as we told him what we were doing, he said he knew a great place to find turtles near the back of the lake. That was great. He said to follow him, and he'd show us the spot. We made our way to the back of the lake. As we kept walking, little alarm bells began going off in my mind. The route wasn't one I was familiar with, and I was afraid of getting lost. He led us to a good-sized pool fed by the lake. I looked around, and it didn't seem to me to be a good spot to find turtles. The young man then quickly began to strip off all his clothes. I froze. I knew this wasn't right. He got into the water and began encouraging me to get in the water with him. My mind raced. I wasn't sure how to find my way out back to the road. At this point, both of my friends began to leave. I screamed at them not to leave me. They hesitated, but then started to leave again. I darted after them, all of us moving as fast as we could. I told my parents about what happened, but nothing came of it and they continued to let me roam as I wished. My sister Erin was born in 1971, surprising us all. My mother had been told that because of her health, she wouldn't get pregnant again. But Erin was born happy and healthy. I began taking care of her and keeping her safe. My caregiver role expanded a lot at that time. She drove me nuts, as all younger siblings will but I loved her so much. 
1974, we moved to Morgantown, West Virginia, and this move changed my life drastically for both good and bad. Our new neighborhood was nice, and it was here for the first time I actually made good friends with the kids on our street. Home was still the same, but the friends I made at this time saved my life, particularly my first best real friend. I won't name her, but if she ever listens to this, she'll know. She was two years older than me and I idolized her. She taught me so much. She taught me it was okay and safe to have fun and be silly and not care what other people thought, which was a completely new idea for me. I'd always had to worry about what others thought, especially when it came to my peer group. All I wanted to do was to melt into the background so I wouldn't stand out. So during this time every Sunday, for whatever reason, we all piled into the car to go for a drive. My grandfather was living with us again, so my parents, my sister, my grandfather, and I would all get in the car, and my dad would drive us to some gorgeous scenic spot. West Virginia is absolutely beautiful, so there's lots of pretty places to see. These outings, however, didn't end up well. The adults were tense, short, and sniping with each other. They would make little degrading comments to each other. I tried to focus on the scenery, but as always, I was hyper-attuned to the adults' attitudes, always waiting for the eventual blow-up that would occur. I hated these drives and just wanted for them to be over. So even so-called fun activities just turned out to be awful. I didn't have guidance from readily available healthy adults to help me work through or process things. I was on my own to figure things out. And as kids, we just don't have the skills necessary to think things out logically or the way the pros and cons of situations. So we develop behaviors, reactions, thoughts, and emotions based on our own experiences. I'll give you an example of something that happened to me. And I call this my lather, rinse, repeat story. So my best girlfriend, the one that taught me so much, one day we were at her house. I was 10 or 11 at the time. We were in her basement and she was washing her hair in a big white utility sink. I watched her wet her hair, lather it up with shampoo, scrub it for a minute and rinse it. She grabbed her towel to wrap it around her hair and I was stunned. I said, what are you doing? You have to shampoo it again. She looked at me like I had lost my mind. She asked why. I said, because that's what it says on the shampoo bottle. Lather, rinse, and repeat. She started laughing hysterically, looked at me, and said, Carrie, they put that on the bottles, so you have to use more shampoo, and then you have to buy more quicker. My mouth fell open in amazement. This was a completely new idea for me. I lived and died by reading directions on packages. No one taught me anything, so I read the directions on everything. So now I could change or vary things 
according to what I wanted or needed. The directions police weren't going to come nab me because I didn't follow the directions exactly. What a concept. I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but it literally changed my view of the world. And we'll talk about this a little bit more in depth in a future episode. And we'll talk about the fact that we don't know what we don't know. I figured I'd tell more of my story because as we've been learning, when we experience repeated traumatic experiences, especially as children, it makes physical changes in our brains. All of the distressing and traumatic events I'd experienced, along with my brain being in a constant survival mode during those critical years of development, was rerouting itself. It created well-worn survival pathways, and over time, other ways in which I could have learned, such as developing critical thinking skills, was lessened or diminished. Those well-worn patterns over time develop into autopilot or automatic behaviors and responses. These go-to behaviors just happen. We don't even have to think about it. These patterns can persist throughout our lives. Ever wonder why you react, behave, and respond to things in ways you don't understand? You might think, why do I always say this or do that or react that way? It could just be those automatic go-tos your brain developed in order to keep you safe when you needed it. The good news is that we can let those old pathways go now because they no longer serve us. As we're learning together, we're gaining knowledge, skills, and tools we can use to rewire our brains. As we practice these skills, they create new pathways in our brains. And the more we practice, the more we can reroute those old, well-worn survival automatic pathways to newer, healthier pathways. Think old, worn-out two-lane road to a shiny new eight-line superhighway. So this is where I like to close us out with a new exercise that we can add to that mindful toolbox we're building together. Remember, you don't have to do this now or at all if you don't want to, but you might just listen and tuck it away in your mind for future reference. These are a couple of easy somatic experiencing techniques to get you back in touch with your body. It can increase awareness, be grounding, and can calm anxiety. So find a comfortable and quiet place to sit. We always start with mindful belly breathing. You can close your eyes or keep them open, whatever you're most comfortable with. Inhale slowly through your nose. Your belly should naturally push out as you inhale for a count of five. Hold your breath for a count of one. Slowly exhale out of your mouth. Your belly should naturally move in as you exhale for a count of five. So you can start by either closing your eyes or keeping them open. Again, whatever's most comfortable for you. If your eyes are open, just let them relax on something in front of you. Begin by bringing your awareness down to your feet. 
Feel your feet connecting to the floor. Gently rock your feet up on the balls of your feet, then up slightly onto your toes. This is a gentle movement with a slight lift up on your toes. Then gently drop back onto your heels. Again, just coming up on the balls of your feet, your toes, and letting your heels drop. Do this a few more times and continue your slow breathing. Next, we're gonna gently flex the toes. Curl your toes in, relax, curl again, relax. You can wiggle your toes if you want. Keep flexing your toes out and curling in a few more times. Let your feet then come to a place of stillness. Feel and sense the area of your feet connecting to the floor. Do you have on socks or shoes? Notice how your feet feel in your socks or shoes. Are your feet bare? Is the floor bare or carpeted? Feel the sensation of your feet on that surface. Notice if there is any sense of temperature in your feet. If you have on shoes or socks, are your feet warm or cold? If your feet are bare on the floor, is it cool or is it warm? Next, we're gonna move our awareness to our seat, the area where you're connected to your chair. This helps give us a sense of grounding and stability underneath us if we are feeling a little ungrounded. This exercise is called Sway Like Bamboo. Bring awareness to your sits bones. This is the area where you're connected to your chair. Begin to slowly shift your weight side to side, gently rocking. Your back can be connected to the back of the chair or you could come forward a little bit. You might allow this movement to be really tiny or really big, going really far side to side. You are swaying back and forth like a reed of bamboo swaying in the breeze. Notice the pressure changes under each one of your sits bones as you sway. As you sway to the left, the pressure of your right glute eases up a bit, becomes lighter. And as you sway to the right, the pressure on your left glute eases up and also becomes a little lighter. Keep swaying side to side. Relax your jaw, relax your neck. Breathe in slowly and breathe out a bit longer than you inhale. Slowly and gently, slow your swaying until you stop and come back to center. Rest back into your chair letting your back be supported, hands just resting in your lap. Breathe slowly in through your nose and out of your mouth as you relax. How do you feel? Do you feel more grounded, a little more relaxed? I hope these exercises are something that you found helpful and it's more tools that we're adding to our mindful toolbox that we're building together. Whenever you need to go to that toolbox and pull out any skill we've learned in order to feel more grounded, safe, and connected, do it. 
I've created a list of all the techniques and exercises we've learned on my website, InvisibleWoundsHealingFromTrauma.com, and we'll add to it as we go along. I'm also going to begin demonstrating all of the skills and techniques and adding related content on my YouTube channel, Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma. I'll let you know when that's up. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. And please, please, please keep on listening. And wherever you listen, please like, subscribe, favorite, and follow me. And what you think really, really matters to me. So please comment on the show. Let me know what you think, whatever's on your mind. You can find me on Facebook at Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma. I'm on Twitter at Carrie Walker 58 and my websites, Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma.com and EndDVNow.com. Look for my new episodes dropping every Monday on all of your favorite podcast and listening apps. Please take extra good care of yourself and we'll talk soon. I'll meet you outside.